The following is a member of the Burke Reviews podcast family. BurkeReviews.com Good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world, welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast, your friendly dose of the movie month just gone. My name is Matt Hudson from What I Watch Tonight at Code UK, and joining me today is the statesman to my kingsman. Hello, hello, I'm John Burke from BurkeReviews.com. What's been happening? Not much, man. Well, I guess, actually, I lied. <laughs> so much has been happening, but um, luckily everything's been kosher, I guess. Uh, I do have a bit of a head cold, so I apologize if I sound a little bit nasally. But, you know, how about yourself? It's been all right. We're having a mini heat wave over here in the United Kingdom, so uh, I'm sorry <laughs> if I sound sweaty, because it's very hot in here. I believe it, dude. It's In Florida, it is no different. Today was one of the hottest. It's been... Uh, raining for the last week but today and yesterday it did not so the heat has uh risen quite a bit before before we dive into movies we'll have the weather channel how, how what's the temperature how hot is it in florida because in my mind it's like an inferno you know um let me look at what the exact temperature is because i haven't I, t- I try not to look to keep the uh you know mind over matter kind of thing <laughs> but um I, th- I think it's only in the 80s, but it says it feels like 94, according to my weather app. So it's like 85 degrees, but feels like 94 because the sun... Oh, I'm sorry. It, it just updated. It's 90 degrees, but it feels like 100 degrees, which is about right. Um, 90 degrees. Yeah, and that's... that's It gets a little hotter here. Uh, that's not the hottest it'll be, but I did spend a good hour in my truck today uh, installing like a XM radio thing. Um, you know, like the satellite radio. Yeah, so yeah. that was a miserable experience because uh, it was so hot outside. I'm just like, <laughs> any relief, like a little breeze was like, oh my god. So <laughs> that just sounds tough. Sitting in your truck at 90 degrees, <laughs> fitting a radio. Yeah, not not the best day to do that. But I I really wanted to get it installed. I uh, I woke up this morning motivated to like knock off a bunch of like honey do list stuff, and uh, that was one of them. So I had to get it off the checklist. There's nothing this guy can't do, guy. If you haven't worked that out already. <laughs> yeah, it, it it's definitely a, a piecemeal job, but nonetheless, it's you know it's done, so I'm I'm happy. So I'm glad you've all got your dose of the weather, just in case anyone's interested. It's, it's only about 74 degrees over here, which oh, is wow. clearly nothing to to you guys over there in the states. But uh, take it back to movies. On this monthly podcast, John and myself we look back at the previous month's major releases uh, and basically just discuss our thoughts and opinions on them. So if you could be so bold, JB, can you reveal the lineup for May? please yes we will be talking about tully overboard deadpool 2 and solo a star wars story to round out the month along with um book club life of the party and cargo new to netflix that we'll be talking about briefly at the end of the episode yep so um a bumper issue uh, an issue again yeah but i'm interested to hear john's thoughts and to give my own regard on may's releases because on the whole it's been a pretty decent month i think uh, the <coughs> box office may not reflect that no. but we shall see but just a quick caveat, before we launch into our thoughts, do be aware we won't be delving into any spoilers for any of the films. We might discuss elements of the plot that don't give anything major away. But get to settle down, grab some tea, beer, fruit water, and just prepare for simple, spoiler-free talk. That's right. We like to just get into what we liked about these movies or what we didn't and keep it, you know, spoiler-free. 
yeah, and hopefully, if we do disagree, it will be very amicable. Uh, but that, so that said, let's dive into the first movie of the show, which is Tully. Uh, John, what did you think first about Tully? Well, I have an unfair advantage, I think. I've seen this film three times. Um, I saw this at uh, Tribeca, I saw this at the Florida Film Festival, and then I saw it when it actually got its theatrical release. Um, I, obviously, if I see a movie three times, it must speak pretty highly of it, and that's where I fall. I love this movie. Um, I thought both Charlize Theron and Mackenzie Davis were fantastic in the movie. Um, I got to bring my wife and daughter to it the third time, which was a different experience, uh, watching them watch it. I kind of, honestly, the third time I was more like kind of looking at what they were doing at like the big (laughs) moments. And, um, but yeah, I, I loved it. Uh, when I saw it at Tribeca, uh, Jason Reitman, the director was there to do a Q and a, um, which made it all the more special of an experience. And I, I really, um, you know Diablo Cody and him. This is their third collaboration. Yep. Um, I'm a big fan of Juno. Uh, I like Obvious Child. Or no, I'm sorry, Young Adult. Wrong movie. Young Adult. And then um, I need to rewatch it though. I don't think I gave it 100 percent of my attention. But I love Tully, so I'm all all in on Tully. I'm going to agree <laughs> with you on that. I really enjoyed this film. I thought the first two acts uh, in particular are splendid. The third act, it's okay. It takes a dip in the third act, but. It's still a very good movie. Uh, like you mentioned, Charlie's Theron. It's not quite the full-on transformation that she undertook for Monster, but no, she, she's she's just all she's just excellent in most things. But she's unwavering, raw, honest, and Mackenzie Davis is another notch on her belt because she really is proving herself to be an up-and-coming star. For real, um, yeah. I mean, I, just a quick one. I've seen I've seen and read that people have seen that the portrayal of mental health was flippant in this film and not taken entirely seriously. What what did you think about that? I don't, I don't feel like that's accurate at all. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I mean, there's a lot going on in this movie, and there's a lot of issues, and I think, uh, I don't think the movie takes a particular stance one way or the other. Um, like, I don't want, it's really hard to talk about this without, like, getting into the third act and, yeah. um, going into, like, why I, I, do, I don't feel like it's, mis- you know, a negative outlook on it. Um, but I mean, if you look at, uh, their, their son, which this is not a spoiler, but their son early on, um, you see like the first scene that we see with her and her son is her brushing him. And it's kind of an odd scene, especially if you're not familiar with, um, children who have sense, uh, sensory issues where like they're overly mm-hmm. sensitive and, um, the movie never really diagnoses what is up with their son. You know, there's a discussion she calls, she, they, everyone keeps saying he's quirky and I think that's another thing that you could argue in the same vein. It's not mental health, but it's another dis- disability or disorder that's treated um, by people who it shouldn't be. Like the principal and the, uh, the the teachers at the school that they're at seem to be um, not taking it seriously enough to get it diagnosed. And that's, as a teacher, that's not something that happens. Like if you recognize symptoms like that with a kid, you would go th- put him through testing and try to find out... Um, what the situation is, what kind of disability or what disorder they have, not ship them off to another school. But um, I think, like, the way the movie treats all of it is that there's a lot of problems and that, um, you know, I think, I don't know, I feel like it handles everything with respect, but also, like, a human element. Like, there's just this problem and we don't quite know how to deal with it, you know? Yeah, I, yeah, good. I, I agree with that. I just wanted to hear your brand, on your thoughts on that, because I'd read it and wasn't overly sure that I agreed with it because... Uh, I th- like it's like you've just said. I thought it took a very human approach to it. It never, it didn't try to glorify it or try to necessarily use it as a uh, to be too manipulative. So I thought they, I thought it was handled, you know, as well as it could be in this kind of story. But back to the story, it's fantastic. I mean, it's got. I mean, the ultimate message is the importance of self care. I think, and also that parenting is very, very hard, yeah. as you and I both know. Yeah. 
for sure. And, and you, you're going through still like with the younger one. You know, I'm sure uh-huh. there's still some late nights and things like that. Uh, mine's you know pretty self sufficient at this point. At 14, you know, I just have to make sure she has the things she needs in the house. But <laughs> yeah, well, uh, my <coughs> my superb young daughter. She's actually she's very good. She's always sleeps through the night. But there's a, the baby. There's a montage in this film of just you know just uh, baby feeds basically. It's yeah. absolutely spot on because I yeah, remember when my daughter was probably about two or three weeks old. She woke up about 3 a.m. Uh, and I went into the kitchen to put the milk on to warm. And then, little did I know, somehow I've ended up face down asleep on the sofa in a different room. Oh, so I somehow had to sort of sleepwalk into another room. My uh, <laughs> my exquisite partner found me and sort of, get up quick. But um, that hit home quite a lot because I remember those days. It wasn't even that long ago, but <laughs> I found that spot on. But yeah, the, the message is self-importance. Just because you've brought a person into the world, don't, don't abandon what makes you you. Um, and I think with... Uh, Cody Diablo's sort of particular brand of writing, the cynicism and the sort of poignancy. Mm-hmm. It's um, it all comes together really well because I like how this film's written. Like you mentioned, films like Juno, that's such a sharp film to yeah. watch, so well written. This is no different, I don't think. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed this film. Yeah, and I I feel like her three films are very autobiographical. Like they're not direct sequels of each other, but they're clearly spiritual sequels of each other. As like you have the young woman going into adulthood thinking she knows everything but really you know gets this huge problem dumped on her um the young adult is a you know starting to hit that midlife area but hasn't moved on from the childhood yet and still doesn't know how to like become an adult and then um tully is like you've been an adult you've been a parent and you're almost forgetting what it's like to be a person you know like you've lost that of yourself and it's it's the three films together just really showcase um, a great intelligence by Cody, and these aren't her only films. Of course, she she wrote some other movies, but I think those three are her. Uh, the ones with Reitman are just outstanding compared to her other works. Um, I'm sure the Jennifer Body fans out there uh, are <laughs> r- throwing fists at me, but you know, um, I think these other three films with Reitman just really showcase, and they definitely have like a, he talked about this at the Tribeca that they have a really good connection, like how they work together. She doesn't even come on set. She like really trusts him with her script that he gets what she's looking at, you know, like the vision that she has for it. And I think that's, that speaks volumes in their three films. Like you really see that, um, the chemistry between the writer and director. I guess there's nothing better for, if you're going to work as a partnership to be able to know that your work, your words are in such good hands that you don't even need to turn up because you trust the director. Uh, in this case, yeah, Jason Reitman so much that you don't even need to be there. And I guess as a director as well, having that level of trust must only instill him with that confidence. Because like you mentioned, the spiritual tri- uh, trilogy, if you will. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about it like that. That's kind of sort of, sort of transparent linear narrative that kind of goes through all of them. Uh, that's a very, that's a brilliant point. I hadn't thought about that. Um, and now I'm going to go, I want to go back and watch all three films again and sort of spot where they could connect. Yeah, well, it, speaking of chemistry, Charlie Theron and Mike Mackenzie Davis, their chemistry is off the chart. Yeah, it really, it, honestly, and Justin Thoreau as well. Um, that's not right. Ron Livingston. I always do that. Those two guys, uh, Ron Livingston. <laughs> um, and I thought Charlie Theron had a really natural, uh, believable like relationship. Like I, I really bought into their marriage. Like that they'd been together for a long time. Um, I mean, I can relate to the, like the headphones. Like he's playing video games. She comes in. And he just like you know slides one headphone off, and he's trying to be a good listener. But <laughs> clearly, like you know, he's wrapped up. And he's I, I get I don't know the movie hit home with me a lot. I don't know maybe with you too because we we put a lot of extra time with the the, the websites and the podcast. Um, that I know I should be maybe devoting 
to other things some, at points, like maybe helping do the laundry more. Or, you know, I, and I try to do my share of the chores, especially like when I'm off for the summer. But you know, during like the the school year, I'm you know f- I leave at six thirty, I get home at like four thirty, I make dinner, but then as soon as dinner's over, I'm in the the room watching a movie or reviewing a movie or doing something. So like it's constant. I'm always working and I feel like that's how Ron Livingston is portrayed in this film too like he's not a bad guy he's a good dad he's there for the kids homework he's involved but at the same time he's constantly on the go he has to go travel for work and things like that you know um, definitely found that relatable and I, I don't mean to take away because I want to go back to Mackenzie Davis and Charlie's Throne as you mentioned their chemistry is phenomenal um, they have such they play off each other so organically and the humor that kind of builds between those moments is uh, great. Um, it makes the film just all the more enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, Ron, Limus, Ron Livingston's character is extremely well written for the simplicity of it because who hasn't done that before? Who yeah. hasn't has kind of been so lost in their music or video <coughs> games or sports and whatever that, you know, you kind of zone out slightly to the world. And um, I think my partner quite enjoys me doing these because it gives her a piece and quiet in the other room. So, uh, but I do know what you mean. We do spend an awful lot of time doing this. Um, but we love doing it and hopefully we're very good at doing it but I certainly enjoy it but yeah, yeah I'd, I'd, I'm so looking forward to seeing more of Mackenzie Davis um, sort of starting to branch out more I know she's got a few things lined up um, but Charlie's Theron is almost a gift I didn't go harken back to a film from last year Atomic Blonde yeah. I wasn't a huge fan of the film it was okay serviceable enough for me but she was superb in it, I thought, and mm-hmm. it's just another role where she takes on, uh, and she's very good. I mean, she's in Gringo as well quite recently, but this, those two together are just, are just dynamite. I agree, and yeah, she's Charlize has done everything so well. I mean, uh, Furiosa in Mad Max is... Yeah. I mean, God, what a character, and then Monster, obviously, from all those years ago, and then, I mean, this movie, again, like you said, the, the transformation isn't as drastic, but it's still... I think she gained 40 pounds for the role and like yeah, yeah. I think in interviews she said she was like feeling depressed and whatnot from that so like you know she she sacrificed uh, to make this role and it's a shame because what I heard I don't think it did very well in the box office um, and it was driving me up a wall like I had a, um, I had to drive 40 minutes to the nearest theater that had it but I was so determined for my wife and daughter to see it that I was just like let's go i don't care that it's not in our local theater let's let's drive the 40 minutes um did they enjoy it they did they both very much did um you know i think i think it hit my wife harder than my daughter of course because you know the motherhood and our daughter's starting high school so we're already kind of going through it right now with uh you know like she's growing up so so fast and every day yeah and then like you watch a movie like this where it's like you can see the ptsd is part of it um i mean there's so many great things this is a movie i would love to just talk spoilers with because it is um, there's so many different things I think could lend themselves to be interpreted differently and that I yeah. think can really affect someone's um, opinion of the movie and I think that goes back to the, the mental health thing you mentioned earlier is like depending on how a person interprets the movie I think will heavily weigh where they fall with that argument so yeah it, I it's one of those films where it would seem that I think this is going to be a trend in probably most of the films we've seen the box office numbers haven't been particularly great but in terms of this film, I'd not. It's a film that I haven't heard enough about. I don't think. I mean, obviously, when it came out, there's sort of like the flurry of people going to see it, and then <coughs> it kind of stops. Mm-hmm. Whereas you get certain films during the year where they kind of endure and live on. And I would have thought that this would have been like that because it does deal with some. I don't want to say heavy subjects, but emotional subjects, ones which can hit home and, it, like you say, can touch people in different ways. Um, yeah. So I'm quite disappointed that you were not hearing more about it because I think it's a film that, well, where if you had the chance to talk spoilers, you could really sort of go deep into it and mm-hmm. 
because there's a lot going on here be, be more than just oh this is a sort of drama offbeat comedy type thing yeah I think there's the, a lot going on there is and I think the release time was a bad decision I feel like this mm-hmm. should have been October November um I still think it'll be an awards talk uh, I don't know if it'll be as as much as it could have been um, but I think it got lost in the shuffle with the release in May. I think it should have been, you know, a fall release. Put it with the uh, the prestige films. Um, it would have been a little bit of counter programming because it is it is a little more accessible than some of the prestige films. But it's definitely got that award kind of notoriety to it. I mean, Reitman and Cody have both they both won for Juno. Um, you know, it's definitely it would have been in contention, and it still might be. But you know, the movies that come out now often get lost in the shuffle come come award season. So. Hopefully it'll uh maybe it'll do a re-release in December or something like that to to pump up the hype. But because she deserves a, at the very least, but I think best actress and best supporting actress uh, nominations for this movie, in my opinion. But you know, it's still early in the year. But yeah, I mean, strange <coughs> things have happened. I mean, Logan got a well, one. Uh, sorry, got nominated sorry, for best adapted screenplay. So yeah. that one that was released early, early, early last year. So there's a chance, certainly those two supporting actors, but maybe even a nod for best writing as well. Um, but I think it premiered at Sundance, I think. But so yeah. I mean, it could have still come out later on. I mean, it's not uncommon for a film to premiere to debut at a festival and then not come out for months and months yeah. after. So it, I think it could have made a decent assault on the Academy Awards had it come out later on in the year. But I guess until we know what's coming out in the year, it's all just conjecture. But based on how where we are now, had it come out in kind of November, December time, I think we certainly would have been looking at a lot more, a lot more buzz around it and more people talking about performances. Because I think, I think come the end of the year, it's going to be one of those sort of criminally underseen films. Yeah, I think so too. And I, maybe it'll have a really good uh, VOD and like Blu-ray release, but. Yeah. Um, I definitely, I'll be hyping it up to everybody who will listen to me. So, uh, <laughs> and if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen Tully, we haven't spoiled it. Find it, watch it legally, not illegally. Pay for it, people. Come on. Yes, yeah, stealing is a sin and it's bad. Go out and pay the money for it. Uh, the only thing we have spoiled <coughs> is that we think we both think it's bloody good. So, yes. um, if you see that as a spoiler, I do apologize. But um, so Tully, it, yeah, it's safe to say it's a thumbs up from John. It's a thumbs up from me. That's right. The next film, um, I'm very interested to see what John thinks. And the next film is <laughs> a remake of a 1987 movie, Overboard. Now, I want to say right off the, the the bat, I've never seen the original. Sadly, I have. Okay, so not a fan of the original, huh? Well, no. <laughs> Basically, it I don't know, it's okay. It's not the worst comedy in the world. It, it's... It's just one of those films that you watch and you never think of again, and you mm. probably would never think that 30 years later they're going to remake it. Because, I mean, the original had Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn, the golden couple. Yep. Um, and this time around we have Anna Faris, who I think is fantastic, in, uh, and uh, Eugenio Derbez, from who <laughs> who was in Geostorm last year, just to was he? post a note on that. Oh, I did not yes, know that. Yes, he was. I didn't watch he that. He was, unfortunately. Um, because he was also in uh, How to Be a Latin Lover last year, I believe. Yes. Which I missed yes, and was. wanted to see. It looked funny. Um, I I didn't see it, but I, I hear that um, <coughs> he's a he's extremely big back in Mexico. Yes. Um. So he's making waves now. Uh, excuse the pun. But Eva Longoria and John Hanna also show up in this film. It's directed by Rob Greenberg, who is basically best known for Scrubs and How I Met Your Mother and television work. Uh, this is his first cinematic outing, and it was a strange choice for a remake of a comedy film, which, when it was released, wasn't particularly well received and didn't do well at the box office. So, um, bef- before we get into basically, it, it, it's, a, it's a struggling working class single mother. She convinces a rich playboy that he has amnesia and that they are a married couple. In the original, it was the other way around. Yep, they gender flipped. 
That's right, it was a chancer of a male who convinces the rich female that they're married. Uh, and convinces her that she's got amnesia and they're married. Either way you look at it, it's quite creepy. But, um... Mr. Mr. Burke, okay. take it away. So I, I agree that the premise is creepy. <laughs> um, it's definitely not something we want to encourage that people manipulate someone who has lost their memory. Um, however, I am a sucker for rom-coms. I've always kind of said that because I, I tend to give them a, a little bit more of a pass, um, especially if they can make me laugh. And I found this movie to be very, very funny. Um, I really like Eugenio Derbez. Um, mm-hmm. He's he's charming. He's got a, a presence on on screen, and when he takes like pride in like being the dad and being the husband, I I bought it. I totally fell in and was like, yeah, this guy is um, he's great. And I ended up really enjoying this movie. I went in kind of like uh, begrudgingly. In fact, they even gave they were giving out sunglasses with per- ticket purchases at my theater. <laughs> Uh, that said overboard on like the the arm or the whatever you call the thing um and that's not always a good sign when they feel the need to do that for like a movie that wasn't getting that much publicity um so i I went in very apprehensive and walked out smiling thinking yeah that was enjoyable uh i definitely think it is um you know it's not an intelligent film and I, i still think the premise is creepy but i had a good time watching it so this is i think the only movie on the list this week that i uh or this month that I have no idea what your opinion is, so I'm curious. Um, I have seen the film, I just haven't got a review out. I don't know if that's an indictment of the film or not. I, th- yeah. um, I didn't like the original, because um, I thought the original was a bit naff, just a bit f- meh. I don't <laughs> think this remake added all that much to it, other than the gender flip. Um, it's, it's, it, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, you know, it's, it's a comedy which just exists to make you laugh and nothing more. It's not going to revitalise the rom-com genre. It's very fluffy. It's very inoffensive. Um, the, the, what saves it for me, I think, is the f- lovely chemistry and the great performances of Derbez and Anna Faris, who again, I think is very underrated <coughs> as an actress. I think she still has that kind of early noughties um, f- spoof comedy uh, stigma attached to her. Yeah. I think Anna Faris is a very, very good actress. Um, what I didn't like, just really, is Swoozie Kurtz is an absolute abomination. I didn't like her in, as the insane mother um, ah. compared to Catherine Hillman in the original. Yeah. But obviously, I, I know you haven't seen the original, but I, oh, I, I that didn't stick for me. But... Um, yeah, it's. I found it funny at times. It's, it's that word again. It's largely inoffensive. It's. I didn't walk out thinking I'm. I'm going to rush home now and put all my thoughts into this film. But I, you know, I, I came out feeling positive enough. It wasn't my favourite movie of the year. It's yeah, not going to go no. down as my worst movie of the year. And it probably won't be particularly anywhere near the bottom end of my list. It just kind of did its job for the uh, for the short run time it was on for. Well, I'll tell you, um, this is a movie like I. My wife and I are big fans of The Proposal with uh, Ryan mm-hmm. Reynolds and um, Sandra Bullock, and I could see this being a movie that we end up just, like, every time it's on, like, FX or something, it just ends up on in the background, because um, it, it's funny enough that I really uh, could see rewatching it whenever it was on, um, but not, yeah, like, I, I agree, I don't think it's a standout of the year or anything like that, but it's it's super enjoyable, it's fun, uh, I would say, I think it's, uh, it's only PG-13 too, so it's, like, family-friendly yeah. Um, humor. There's a few like you know dirty jokes or whatever, but uh, they're they're still done tastefully. Um, and I also liked that uh, a big chunk of the movie is in Spanish with uh, with subtitles. Yeah, yeah. Which is really cool because that's not something you get from a lot of American films uh, where they they are gonna use subtitles and they're gonna keep the language um, that the character speaks natively. And I thought that was a really cool aspect. 
Um, I, I thought there was a lot of little good things in there like that. Um, I, I kind of agree. I don't know if the mother, because I haven't seen the other one, but I, I didn't care for that character. Um, even, like, the, the... I guess you could call it drama of the, like, the mom. Like, oh, I'm going off to act. Like, it was whatever. that <laughs> Take it out of the, the, the what movie. What a great performance that was. Yeah. What, a good, what an actor that was. If anyone's listening, he's a casting director. John's available. There it is. Um, I am good <laughs> at things. Uh, but, and actually, I thought the kids did a pretty good job, too. And uh, the casting yes. of the kids... Because they look related and they're not, um, but mm-hmm. they they do look like they are related. Uh, Mel Rodriguez, who plays uh, Bobby, who is the uh, hu- husband to Eva Longoria's Teresa, I really like that character um, and his interaction with uh, Eugenio Derbez and like as his boss because he's he hires him on as the contractor. That whole like initial sequence is really funny of him working and it's in the trailer, but it's still um, those those moments really made me laugh a lot and. Uh, I don't know, uh, and I, I agree. Anna Faris does get kind of dumped on because of the scary movie franchise, which I think she did the first three. Um, yeah. And the first one's great. There's some good stuff in the second one. I don't think I got into the third one at all. And um, you know, she's done some other really good stuff. Uh, in fact, I just watched Brokeback Mountain, and she shows up in that for like thirty seconds. Um, of but yeah, she definitely uh, stuck with that stigma. I have not seen her TV show Mother or Mom. Is it Moms? It's her and uh, I haven't seen it. It's Oh, I'm going to forget her name. Um, but, yeah, I've heard that's really good, too. I need to probably give that a go. Yeah, I think, <coughs> I think yeah, again, I think she's kind of still always going to be attached to that kind of comedy, but she is a, a very good comedic actress, not just in those kind of silly, silly roles. She can, she has got some chops to her uh, and does deserve, I think, a little bit more credit for what she does. Um, but about about this film, I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I mean, the original was... Uh, an allegory of wealthy and selfish versus sort of the down-to-earth values and this kind of still is yeah but in this version the obviously the gender politics say kind of loom like loom large um because this is basically a movie about a male pig who gets his comeuppance and he has to choke on his pride and you know his comeuppance is learning how to treat women properly which let's face it isn't a lesson you should be taught it should be a lesson that you should already know yeah but it's it's a it's a rom-com that fits very snugly into the modern era and that's no way is that a bad thing because it, if anything anything to kind of help shine light on these worthy causes is good in my eyes but yeah. um it's yeah it's it's it's, it's, so it's the original film wasn't particularly well received and didn't do too well I, I i agree with your kind of put it on fx in the background and just watch it when it's on type of yeah um story because i think that's kind of where it's going to end up or over here it'd be on Netflix and it might gain a gathering on there and if it was on Netflix and it happened to start play I'm not going to turn it off yeah like it's it's perfectly enjoyable um definitely not a revolutionary rom-com or anything like that it doesn't change anything and I don't it, it does still deal with those issues that you mentioned but like not in any kind of significant way it just yeah points them out like here they are um and it is it is a shame that uh we can't make all rich people kind of see what it's like to be working class but you know, yes. would they all learn a lesson? Who knows? If only we had the magic <laughs> wand to be able to do so. But yeah, just to touch on that point, this isn't a preachy film or anything like that at all. It, you know, it has its message and it handles it well. It's not in your face for people who may be worried about that. Yeah, um, no. But on that note, it is a message worth sending, and it's one which I'll bang the jump for for the rest of time. So, but overboard again. To me, it looks like we've got. I think you're slightly higher in it than I am. Yeah. But I did still enjoy it for what it was. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, and again, I, I am partial to rom-coms um, as long as they are entertaining and comp- uh, like can make me laugh and they're not uh, excruciatingly painful. I, d- I tend to like them. 
Um, it's kind of like a guilty pleasure genre for me. But what did, what did, on rom coms, I am. If anybody hasn't realised it, I am English. I know it may be hard to understand, <laughs> but I am. Um, Love Actually. Did you like that rom com? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't love it. Um, I actually just watched it. I think maybe two years ago for the first time. Um, okay. There were storylines in it that I really liked, but there's a couple that I'm not a huge, like, I'm not really up on. I really don't like the Andrew Lincoln storyline in the movie much, because uh, I kind of think he's a jerk. <laughs> I can clearly see where you come from on that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I only mentioned Love Actually because that, along with uh, Notting Hill and Four Weddings and a Funeral, kind of held up as the uh, British staples of rom-com. You know what? Because uh, I think all of those have um, Hugh Grant, right? <laughs> yeah. He is literally the poster boy for British rom-com you, film. You know what my bless his heart. My favorite uh, Hugh Grant rom-com music, music and lyrics with uh, Drew Barrymore. Because oh man, yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, music-based movies, and that one just uh, man, it cracks me up every time I watch it. I love watching them like write the songs together, I, and that's I feel like severely not seen. Uh, but I really, really liked it. I, I caught it on accident. I think it was on TBS or something a few years back. Well, it's probably several years back now. And he is charming. I can't deny it. Like Hugh Grant tends to win me over, and I am a Drew Barrymore fan. So, uh, and then yep. you put them together making music, and I, I was in. And I, I checked in immediately. Very much liked it. Um, I do own it. I won't lie. But yeah, yeah Hugh Grant has got that wonderful sort of foppish British nature to him. He's a he's the most again that uh, word I've used, but an inoffensive guy in the world. He's just a nice bloke, and I can imagine bumping into him in the supermarket, and he would just be just as sort of awkward and charming as he would be in the films I mean music and lyrics about about 10 years old now I think it's not yeah. it's not your kind of music film like Whiplash it's no. completely different yeah. this is a that's a fun uh, romantic musical comedy I, I love comedy with music it's kind of play on like the 80s pop revival of the early 2000s yeah. like I love that whole the whole setup of it um, you know very much in like Wham or uh, George Michael inspired um, yeah, a lot of fun, and um, I actually do the song, and even they kind of make fun of like the modern musicians, like with the girl he's writing the song for, who's very much like Kesha or uh, even Britney Spears. Britney Spears, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's really, really, really funny. It's again, I'm not saying it's a brilliant movie, but it worked for me, and it's uh, you know, if we're talking Hugh Grant rom coms, that's the one I go to. So, and we've had Pierce Brosnan singing in Mamma Mia, and this is Hugh Grant <laughs> singing. So, if you like. Uh, older English actors having to go at singing you'll be in <laughs> luck here so he's, he's built so better than Pierce Brosnan was so talking about funny films uh, I think we'll be on the same level with the next film Probably. Uh, it's the sequel to the smash hit Deadpool uh, imaginatively titled Deadpool 2 yes uh, Ryan Reynolds returned uh, again as to Merc with the Mouth, um, and this time he forms the X-Force to protect a young mutant from the time-travelling uber-soldier baddie Cable. Um, so this is probably the first one he really we talk about box office with before we jump into. This made less money on its opening weekend than Deadpool, the first film, mm-hmm. um, and it has, I think it's 783 million to catch. Uh, and as it's going at the minute, I'm not sure it's going to get near that. Yeah. Uh... But that is not a in- indicatement, indicator sorry, of the movie's quality. No, um, and I mean it came. The first film came out in February, so that yeah. definitely has a lot to do with its success. And it was uh, new, you know. There had not mm-hmm. been a. Um, there had been our comic book movies. People always want to forget, like Blade was our, Kick Punisher was our, Kickass was our. But uh, as far as this type of exposure, um, there had not been one. And really, Deadpool wasn't that big of a character, 
and he's a fairly young character by comparison to like Wolverine mm-hmm. or and I'm not even talking about in, in the movies people I'm talking about like in existence in the world I think Deadpool came out in the 90s if I'm not mistaken and um, yet he's grown to be one of the most beloved uh, from the comics and the movie the first movie shocked everybody it was great um, we all wanted it a brilliant it. marketing campaign as well oh yeah and th- this one I think does again um, the Celine yeah. Dion video uh, <laughs> I mean <coughs> and then you get this amazing cast with Josh Berlin uh, pulling double duty in the comic book movie world this this summer with Avengers and Deadpool 2. Yeah, he's had so far. Yeah, and then we got Sicario 2 coming out, which looks questionable at best. Um, <laughs> uh, but Julian Dennison, who I, w- I don't know if you got to see Hunt for the Wilder People. I man, again, I, I, I bang that drum as well. That's a wonderful oh. movie that, again, nobody saw. I know. I, I taught it last year because I loved it so much. I had it like, I'm like, I'm showing people this movie because someone needs to see it and it's not getting seen enough. Um, it's on Netflix over here, so go and check it out. It's oh, incredible. Man. Yeah, it's so good. Um, and I will say, if you like Julian Dennison in uh, Deadpool 2, that he's kind of the same character <laughs> without the mutant Similar, powers. Yeah, he is. Um, but then Zazie Beetz as Domino is fantastic. Uh, it's, it's just a really, really solid cast in this movie. Plus... As we said, we don't spoil, so there's a lot of stuff we can't talk about. Yes. <laughs> um, but Some of the funnier moments we can't talk about. Yeah, and, and don't look, if you don't want to be spoiled, don't look at IMDb, because um, the cast list will spoil some little little things. But uh, it is, um, I had a blast with the movie. I got to see, actually, uh, they did a double feature opening day. So I got to see Deadpool 1 again in, on the big screen, followed by Deadpool 2. Um, nice. with like a 15 minute intermission and it was it was a cool way to watch it you know back to back um, I kind of forgot how much I loved the first one like I knew I loved it but I hadn't really watched it since it came out and so watching it again on the big screen uh, was like oh yeah I really did enjoy it the first time around and um, you know the movie is super violent it's a it's hard R for sure uh, both of them but this one in particular there's a lot of violence I think in fact the opening montage of the movie is is full of excessive violence like you see a lot of things happen and um, if if you like that kind of thing, it's great. If you don't, I understand. Um, I'm able to separate. Like in real life, I I hate violence. I think violence is awful. But in movies and video games, I tend to enjoy violence uh, that I know is fictional, even if it's sometimes it's realistic looking. Um, but there's moments in this where I'm like, yeah, get him, Deadpool. And <laughs> um, you know, again, I don't advocate actual violence, but in a movie, if it works, it works, and this works for me. Yeah, and I think the reason why Deadpool <coughs> was so successful is because it, it pretty much worked for so many different people. And my my illustrious partner, she doesn't like comic book films particularly, or doesn't really buy into the superheroes, but she, she thought Deadpool was incredibly funny and also a good film. Maybe because it is that kind of rated R. Uh, and it takes things a bit further, shall we say? Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people kind of bought into Deadpool because it was something a bit different. It was he was he's foul mouthed, raunchy, it's uber violent, um, and it is just a complete break from reality and something different at the time. So I think that is part of the reason why it did so well, just because of its its reach. Yeah. And Deadpool two, um, I it, it strives for the same thing. I I think this has got a better story to it. With Deadpool one felt very sort of scattergun. It did have that story going through it, but it felt a lot more. With this, there's so much, so many jokes, a laugh a second. There's so many meta gags. There's fourth wall breaking galore. This one has a stronger story, and it's not. I don't. I don't think it's as smart humor-wise, which isn't a bad thing. But um, I think it actually concentrates more on following a, a narrative through it. Hmm. Um, but it's because one of my criticisms of Deadpool 
was that it had a paper thin story behind all the gags. This one's got a better story, I think. Um, there's moments where they really do try and tug at your heartstrings, and at times it does it does work. Yeah. In a Deadpool film, they manage to kind of make you sort of feel something for these people, and that's also down to the chemistry. Um, I'm not going to give anything away, but the chemistry between characters in this film is just fantastic. But I think it's a stronger sequel. I think this is a better film than the first one. I think it's just funny, but I think it's a better film. Um, yeah. Because I think it's just a bit more stripped back. But the action, like you say, the action isn't stripped back. It's got David Leach direct it, who, again, going back Atomic Blonde for the second time, we've mentioned that now. Yep. He directed that. He's back for this one, so the it's kind of a given that the action was going to look superb. If you haven't seen Atomic Blonde, the staircase scene, just find it. Read yeah. the film and watch that, and how good at action and choreography is. So yeah, the action is bigger, it's badder, but the film itself isn't uh, isn't as bad as people may have thought it would be. I think it's a step up, story wise. Yeah, I and think. with David Leach, um, he was a, a uncredited co-director of John Wick, and then um, yeah. with this film, like there are some complaints about the story. Uh, one I won't say on here, but it does deal with something that happens very early on and a trope mm-hmm. in movies that people are getting tired of. But if I say it, it's a spoiler, so I'm not going to say it, even though it happens at the very beginning. Um, But then uh, I've heard some other people say the story is a mess. And the only thing I can think of with that, because I I don't agree with that. And we've actually talked about that um, off mic. Um, But I feel like it may be because they don't go for like a straight linear story. Like we we do in Deadpool 1, we kind of start and then we flash back and we're, we're kind of going back and forth throughout the film like you know Mm -hmm. seeing how we got to this point and they do that a little bit with this one not as much um but i i didn't i didn't feel like it was a a mess i don't know what people are seeing that they feel like it's a mess like to me the story is very uh easy to follow i mean even if they had said it was simplistic i could be like okay well sure but it's it's you know there's some complexity here and it's it's a lot of character complexity you know which you don't expect really from a Deadpool movie, but uh, you still get a lot of the, the fourth wall breaking and the pop cultural references that I love. Um, you know that he's self aware and he's aware of the world that we live in, which most movie characters aren't. And so there's a lot of little jokes that um, that are there. And Reynolds' delivery of of the witty dialogue is always so perfect. I think there's like there's one line read in the first movie, and I can't even think of what it is right now. I just remember every time I hear it. I kind of cringe a little bit like it's not it's a, it's not a strong joke like it, it comes off and it's like uh that was that wasn't good um and I don't feel like there was any of that in the second movie like I feel like all the jokes landed really well um or at least they didn't stand out if they didn't like you know there's nothing popping into my brain where it's like oh that joke sucked um but I yeah I, I like Deadpool 2 as much if not more than the first movie so yeah <coughs> and it's still utterly ridiculous and like you mentioned, strictly self-aware. But one of the one of the things I was worried about was the movie basically buckling under the weight of itself. Was it going to be too meta, yeah. too fourth wall? Was it going to try and do everything the first film did, but you know have that sort of sequelitis and just make everything bigger and better just because it can? And other than the action, I don't think it. I don't think it does. I think it kind of it almost shows some kind of restraint. Which which is a credit to the writers. I and mean, then Ryan Reynolds has got a um, writing credit on he this. He does, yeah. It's him, Simon Kingberg, and Lauren Shuler Donner are the writers of this film. But it probably would have been very easy just to make everything bigger because that's what was so fun about the original was it was just completely crazy. But it they took the story in a few different <coughs> places which actually kept it or made it 
more interesting, I thought. Um, again, I can't go into it because it kind of ruins the film. Yeah. There are directions the film decides to go in, multiple ones, which keep it interesting. And it, I can kind of see the argument where people say, well, I don't want that in this kind of film, but you can't just keep rehashing the same thing because yeah. that gets boring very quickly. And nothing gets away from Deadpool in this film. It's, like you say, he's, he's still ripping on anything, old and new. And there are some ridiculously funny jokes in this, and there's a couple of set pieces which had me on the floor almost yeah um, I, I'm so pleased that they managed to nail the, the comedy in this uh, I thought Ryan Reynolds and Josh Brolin together were fantastic I think Josh Brolin I mentioned it in my review but he's kind of the glue that holds everything together his character and how he is and his just him he really kind of binds it all together and makes it as focused as it is and Julian Dennison of course but uh, I also enjoyed Zazie Beats. I thought she was one of the standouts of the film as, as well yeah. and um, TJ Miller appears as well but uh, overall yeah Josh Brolin he's the glue I think yeah and man there's so many things I'd like to say about like Domino or Zazie Beats, um performance and like but I feel like I'd be, there's so much that you just give away like I think you have to just experience it, but it, it's a lot of fun. It's not family friendly unless you don't care about you know excessive swearing and sexual jokes and possibly uh, some nudity. I think maybe you could argue uh, there's a little bit of nudity in this yeah. movie. Um, emphasis on little bit, but um, <laughs> you know the movie is it's what I wanted from a Deadpool sequel, and so I you know cannot uh, can't be disappointed, especially. It's nice to see Ryan Reynolds um, getting a role that's perfect for him. Like in Deadpool, is oh, yeah. it's like he was born to be much like you know Robert Downey Jr. was born to be Tony Stark. Yeah, this is I can't imagine. It's easy to say in hindsight, but I can't imagine anybody else playing this role. And I know he was in a uh, I want to say Wolverine Origins, I think it was called. Yeah, but that's whichever it. one it was, or the, he was, well, that iteration of Deadpool was utterly ridiculous. Even I didn't even I, I'd heard of the character of Deadpool and I knew a bit about him. But I remember him showing up thinking, well, Kate, he looks cool with swords for arms, but doesn't he talk? And was his mouth stitched up? And I'm so glad that he kind of references that in his old, in the films. But it, uh, also, as well, if you do, when you go and watch this film, or if you if you uh, rent it or purchase it, uh, stick around after the film's finished. Yeah. Because there, there may be some end credit scenes, which uh, will also have you howling. Yeah, if you're a fan of Ryan Reynolds um, and or Deadpool 1, definitely check out Deadpool 2. And I, most likely, if you saw those, you probably or if you are a fan of either one of those two things, you probably already saw Deadpool 2. If, if for some reason you've slept on this movie, definitely check it out. Again, unless you're against violence films or if you're against like swearing uh check this movie out yep i can't i, I can't argue <coughs> with that it's a very good film very solid film for me it's better than the original it's not as funny but it's a better film um and i came out feeling extremely happy uh, and also the fact that it was it was as good as the first one uh made me feel good about it so um this next film has it seems to be the new the new fashion for when you go to a galaxy far far away it seems to be a new thing where it's the, the d word not that d word but divisive Mm -hmm. and the new film is Solo A Star Wars Story it's a second standalone film from Lucasfilm slash Disney um, Ron Howard jumped on board after Lord and Miller were well, <laughs> fired, fired for taking their own stance on the film written by uh, the Kasdans Larry and John Kasdan Alden Ehrenreich steps into Han Solo's boots Donald Glover as Lando Carizian you've got Woody Harrelson, Tandy Newton Paul Bettany, Amelia Clark, 
stuff. Um, so you've got a top quality cast for me. But the film has been an absolute bomb at the box office in terms of Star Wars. I mean, there'd be a lot of films who would die to have these numbers, but in terms of Star Wars films, yeah. again, in terms of what I think about the film, I'll get onto that shortly. But in terms of the numbers, this has sunk almost. Which Matt has some very specific stakes with the numbers for this movie. Because, <laughs> listeners, if you haven't listened to our top five movie podcast at burgerviews.com to hear the summer movie draft, Matt picked this as his first pick, which I think everyone listening, everyone involved in the draft thought was a very solid pick. And my bits. it is apparently not a solid pick at all um, because it is not making any money and it is baffling to me um, because, well, we, you know, we haven't said what we think yet, but we, we lucked out that you and I are on the same side of this divisive issue. Um, mm-hmm. And we're kind of looking at everybody else like, what is wrong with everybody? Like, why is everyone <laughs> hating so hard? What film did you see? I mean, I, I, I worship the altar of George Lucas and Star Wars and Lucasfilm or Disney. But I'm not stupid as well. When something comes out which isn't very good, I would never blindly say, no, this is incredible just because it has the name Star Wars on it. If I don't like it, I mean, I, I, won't, I, I can pick the flaws out of the original trilogy to till we're here till tomorrow but I'm not blind I'm not a blind fanboy or a shill or whatever the new thing is so I've just put that to bed right now I really enjoyed this film uh, and, I've, and I've seen it uh, twice now and it, oh. and it got better the second time Wow, um, I've re- it's it's uh, for people out there. If you ha- if you've been living under a rock for the last two years, it's a story of how uh, Han Solo basically it's his early life on Corellia and it co- and it's a checklist of his major uh, every moment that he's mentioned in the Star Wars films it's in the film it's in the trailers he meets Chewie you see Lando um, Kira his, who he's with his young friend on Corellia his mentor in Beckett's it kind of just shows how a part of his life about how he got to where he was when we meet him in the canteen in episode 4 so it starts off with him on Corellia but I, I, I enjoyed this film I thought it was I wanted it to be fun and adventurous like a lot of people and it was fun it was adventurous the humour worked for me for the most part I felt like it was an adventure heist film yes the stakes may not have been as high as they would be normally because they weren't going to kill off Han Solo funnily enough but yeah, I still as a as a standalone film, which is what this is, because you know it isn't. It's not part of a saga. It's a standalone film. It it stands on its own and it works for me. I had a great time with it. It did have flaws. I'm not going to lie, and yeah. I'll get into those shortly. But um, what I I think I know what you thought about it. But uh, your thoughts? Yeah, I I've only seen it once so far. I did I did splurge and do an IMAX screening. Um, so I am going to see it again. I'm waiting for my wife to actually come with me because she's a huge Chewbacca fan. So. Um, <laughs> Like you, I don't know if you, if it happened everywhere or not, but there was a uh, Chewbacca lady video a few years ago where like yes. yeah, I, my wife has that yeah. mask um, because as soon as she saw that video, she's like, oh my god, I want that mask, so I ordered that mask. So yeah, um, she wants to see it, but she was she doesn't do opening nights usually for movies. So my daughter and I went and saw it, and um, I I was having so much fun with this movie. I was laughing and like. I do this like kind of nerdy clap thing when I get too excited where I'm trying to contain myself. <laughs> it's like it's there's no noise. It's more just a visible like Hercules, Hercules from Nutty Professor. I don't know if like that's too old a reference, but um, that happened at least twice where I was like, oh, my God, they're doing this thing. They're doing this thing I really wanted them to do. And no one else in the theater was audible with their enjoyment of it that I could hear. Ooh. And um, I heard my normal theater where I usually go to the movies. I had a few students that were at that screening. They said everyone was laughing and having a blast. So I think my IMAX crowd was a little snooty 
or the sound was so loud that I couldn't hear anybody else laughing. But um, I had a blast. I don't think it's perfect, and I, no, I don't think any movie's perfect per se, but yeah. there's definitely some flaws that stand out. There's a couple of moments where I rolled my eyes really hard. Um, oh. But then they made up for it to me with the fan service. And it is, it's fan service. This is a movie for Star Wars fans. And I think that if they hit the things you wanted, then you have a great time. And if you wanted it to be something different, then you're going to have that negative attitude that I think you saw with Last Jedi too, where they, they did things that fans didn't want them to do. And those people who were unwilling to take the movie as it was hate it and i i you know can't believe you can look at last jedi and say you hate it blows my mind um i can see why you might hate this movie um i i don't though i love i love alden ehrenreich um i thought him and chewy in this movie so great uh like and chewy which we have a new actor in the in the suit um because you know uh peter's getting old and his knees are bad um yeah but i thought the guy really like even like I'm not sure how they do the facial expressions on Chewie, how much the actor controls that, or how much is done uh, by, like, a puppet master, puppeteer, whatever. Um, But, like, I... I'm not sure. Yeah, I have no clue how that works, but I thought Chewie was, like, the most... Like, like he communicated so much to me off, like, his little... There's nuances, like, little gestures and movements that he does where you just get what he's thinking or what he's doing. And I, I was... Oh, man, I love that dynamic so much. And I liked Aaron Reich. I thought he did a good job as Solo. He's not Harrison Ford. He's not trying to be Harrison Ford. And I think exactly. if you want him to be Harrison Ford, it's probably not going to do it for you. If you <clears> accept <throat> this as a young Solo who we don't know yet because he's not he's not where he is in New Hope. He hasn't been beaten down by life yet um, and cynical and, you know, uh, world-weary at, at this point. He's young and hopeful and optimistic. And if you can take that, um, I think you can see this solo becoming that that solo with what happens in this movie. But I don't know. I I also had a great time. I am looking forward to seeing it a second time. I hope I have the same experience that you have and love it more the second time because that would be amazing. Yeah, and that's not <coughs> to say that I didn't enjoy it the first time and I needed that second viewing. The first viewing I came out and had a blast of it, and the second viewing once you once you've absorbed it all and you can just watch it with a, with the fresh eyes and just enjoy it for what it is. It's a lot of fun and it is a solid film. It isn't the best Star Wars film they've ever made, but I think you'd have to uh, you'd have to be on something fairly strong to think that it could have been the best Star Wars film ever. Yeah, but it's got everything you want from from the film. Uh, Old Nero and I, it it did take me you know a little while, twenty minutes or so, to kind of really buy him. Not because he was bad, because he, he's not. He I thought he was very, very good. But because you're so used to seeing Harrison Ford, um, and I noticed that during the film they kept using the word Han a lot in the first story, sorry, in the first sort of half an hour to kind of really hit home that this guy is Han. Um, maybe something small, but I noticed that every other word was Han, Han, Han. Huh. So this guy is Han. Um, just in case you didn't realise, he's Han. But um, <laughs> which isn't a bad thing. But I thought he, I thought he was great. He had the swagger. I think he had the cockiness. He had the look. And I noticed he'll ruffle some feathers. But the character of Han Solo is what is what he needed to be. He didn't need to be Harrison. Ford. Harrison Ford took on the character. The character was this kind of cocksure, arrogant, um, selfish mercenary. That's the character, and as long as the whoever plays him can embody that, then they're the character to me. It's almost sacrilege to say. That. I mean, Harrison Ford and Han Solo to me is the greatest, one of the greatest characters of all time. But of course, he isn't the character. He's just a person playing him. So. For some, for somebody to step in, they only need to embody those characteristics for me, and as long as they can put it off, they're Han Solo to me. I was never gonna go out with my um, torchwood and start burning down cinemas if he wasn't very good. But I thought he was brilliant. Donald Glover as Lando. It's, 
If you close your eyes during this, you can hear Billy D. Williams. It's not an impersonation. It's just that Donald Glover is so cool, he pulls it off. And yeah. I've, he, pro- he possibly steals the film for me. And like you say, there are moments, <laughs> There are we share the same moment, which I won't mention, yeah. where I think our eyes, if we could have pulled them out and rolled them with our hands, <laughs> we would have done. But the only reason it got a pass is because who wrote this film? Larry Kasdan and John... Larry Kasdan, sorry. Pretty much has written Han Solo's character since day one. Yeah. Pretty much he's created him, he's crafted him. So if anybody was going to write his film, it had to be him. And the choices that are made in this film, because he has made them, it kind of... I'm not going to say it gets a pass, but it softens it somewhat because... If that's his vision for his character, then who am I to say that he's wrong? That doesn't mean I agree with him, because there's one in particular which I just thought, don't go there, oh, they went there. Yeah, I still can't fathom where that came from, like why that moment is in the movie. Um, yep. it, it's uh, it's so and honestly if, if you don't know what we're talking about um, we're, I'm not going to say but yeah and you will uh, but they actually in an interview he had alluded to that uh, Kasdan had um, Yeah. and so like I kind of knew that moment was coming and it didn't soften it at all I was just like oh really that's wow okay um and i hate giving any kind of review that just has me exclaiming three words but you know i can't say what it is to like articulate why it's so upsetting but my reaction was not positive um but it only went up from there because that is an early moment so uh at least they got it out of the way and then i was able to like get past it and um it didn't ruin the movie for me uh it did it is that one it's a standout bad moment in my opinion but it did start waving some red flags to me to think, oh no, if it's going to carry on along this path, maybe this isn't going to be as good as we hope. But it does pick up. There are. I didn't. Another thing I didn't particularly like, or didn't was the uh, was the droid L three. She was very hit and miss for me. I wasn't particularly yeah. uh, enamoured with her. It's uh, again, she looks fantastic. The visual work on this film, for the most part, for the most part, is superb, and the droid looks like it's a real droid. Yeah, simulating with these characters. I I didn't I wasn't particularly overly fond of her character. Yeah, I've heard some people really praising her as like the highlight. Um, I'm kind of in the middle. I I didn't dislike yeah. her. Uh, I I also, you know, a lot of it is silly with her. Um, mm-hmm. it almost almost a little too big at times. Uh, you know, like the characters like just throwing joke after joke almost, where it's like, okay, calm down. We we got other characters yeah. we want to hear from. Um, and while I loved Glover as Lando, I definitely would have loved more of Glover as Lando. Um, you know, definitely. And I still, we want a Lando standalone movie, guys. What's happening? <laughs> yeah. I, judging by, I mean, Donald Glover at the minute can't do anything wrong at the minute. He literally is the, I mean, he's multi-talented. And <laughs> his childish Gambino alter ego is, just churns out some quality music. Yeah, he does. But as Lando, he just nails the, the role of it. He, He's got the swagger, he's got the charm, the sex appeal. The voice, again, it's, this isn't a Billy D impersonation, um, but if you're going to impersonate anyone, you impersonate Billy D. Um, but you close your eyes and you can hear him. It's just a, you can see how he would siege into into Billy D in older life. But um, another thing I wanted to mention was this, they've got Bradford Young as the cinematographer, who is, in my eyes, one of the best best uh, DOPs out there. He did Arrival, oh, amongst yeah. other things, at Most Violent Year, and Selma. This film does have quite a washed out filter, but there's some visuals in this which are just breathtaking, and I can only imagine on IMAX they looked incredible. Yeah, there, you know, it, it is, 
it's washed out more than um like I don't always notice that with a movie like I'll notice if something stands out like one way or the other but like if it's just like any other movie or whatever um I I can just ignore like if it's a little washed out or whatever uh but yeah there are some some definite moments um especially late in the film when they're on the uh kind of desert-ish planet like where the, some of the the long shots on that sequence are really really mm-hmm. stunning um and it, it the IMAX I went to is it's kind of more of like the it's pseudo IMAX. It's it's a big screen, but it's not the biggest of the IMAX screens. Um, but it, it was it was probably the best at that particular theater that I've seen because um, I saw uh, Mission Impossible Rogue Squadron there and Ant Man I think and one of the Hunger Games like Mockingjay one or two I don't remember which one. Um, but like this I think was the best IMAX film I've seen at that particular IMAX theater. So yeah, I, I've got an IMAX about 15, 20 minutes around the corner and I. I would, if I get a chance to, I'd like to go and see this on IMAX because I try to watch all of these kind of big flagship movies on IMAX at least once, if possible. But if you're a Star Wars fan, this has got <laughs> this has got some deep cuts into the old expanded universe. There's fan service, but it's not as bad as that one moment in Rogue One with the Doctor on Jeddah. Um, it's it, you know it's full of twists, surprises. There's it's just a fun film. Yeah. If you don't, if if you just jump into it fresh, you should still be able to pick up what's going on. A few things may confuse you, but you know there's things which you may not have realised you wanted to see. Uh, that that Hans mentioned the Kessel Run and things like that. Yeah. You don't realise how much you want to see it until you see it. Um. So there's some great set pieces. There's a lot to grab onto for the casual fans, for the hardcore fans like me. Um. I picked out on these references, and during the cinema, it gives you that kind of extra little kick. You think, oh, yep, brilliant. They went there, or that they've tied this up, or they've mentioned this character from a animated series five years ago it's fantastic um, but yeah it ha- opening weekend was about 88 million I mean Rogue One <coughs> made 150 million so this is almost a 50% drop on the last standalone film uh, I thought Rogue One was incredible but I think I don't know why that I can't put my finger on why this is bombed because let's, let's not beat around the bush this is a huge disappointment yeah but I don't, whether it's a, whether it's because it people are still talking about The Last Jedi I mean that was only six months ago this film hasn't that film hasn't, hasn't had enough time to breathe this film maybe hasn't had enough time to be marketed properly. There's obviously that division between the fans. There's that age-old quip: "Did we didn't people didn't want this film?" Which infuriates me when people say that because who what what films do people want? But um, I, so I don't know why it didn't make any money because I'm certainly sure it's not because the film's quality. Because I take off my Star Wars hat, this is still a very good, fun summer film. Yeah, and it still has a high meta score. Like it's not as high as some of the yeah. other ones, but it's still up there. Like it's a 62 meta score. I think it had a 78 or something Rotten Tomato. It's like of the Star Wars films, it's the third lowest. Like, mm-hmm. um, but still, like it's in the positive. It's in the 70s. It's not like we're not sitting at a like Phantom Menace 55. Uh, like you know so it, it's still a good film even though there are some critics who are really really hating on it there's definitely some fans hating on this movie hard um, yeah. I, I feel like a lot of that is just uh, I feel like there's a, a anti-Star Wars movement partly because of the corporation behind it um, and because it is it, it's all of a sudden we went from not having a Star Wars movies for what 15 years or something to now having one every year and this one coming out like you said six months after I think it might be... I don't think it's actual oversaturation, and I don't think the product has suffered, but I think the the demand has suffered. I think the people out there... um, Because when you look at Force Awakens, even, compared to Last Jedi, everybody went and saw Force Awakens. Not just hardcore Star Wars fans. Everybody Mm -hmm. went and saw Force Awakens, like, opening weekend. It was an event. And it's progressively become just another event. And I feel like it's lost some of that that luster. You know, when you give us too much... um, it just isn't the big 
deal that it, it would have been otherwise like this movie if you give it like a year after like instead of doing one a year if we were doing every two years this movie would have been hyped up so much more and people would have been ready for the next star wars movie and like i'm 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 game for star wars all the time i love star wars so you put out another star wars movie i'm going to see it you put out a star wars tv show i'm going to see it and that doesn't mean I'm going to love it, but I'm going to see it. Yeah. And um, I, I liked Rogue One the first time. I didn't love it as much as a lot of other people. I need to rewatch it. Um, there's a lot of moments in the film I love, but there were parts of it where I, I don't know. I didn't connect uh, like I do with the other films. This one was the opposite. I was already connected because I love Han Solo so much. Um, and they didn't do anything to me to make me not love Han Solo. So they just gave me kind of what I was looking for from this movie. And it is, like you said, as a summer film, taking the Star Wars out of it, it's great. It's action-packed. There's a lot of adventure stuff. There's some really cool visuals, some awesome set pieces. Like, it's it's a fun summer movie if you stop hating on it. Yeah, exactly. It's 18 months to episode 9. Uh, I can't see that being a disappointment in terms of the box office. But hopefully that, or maybe that 18 months will kind of fan the flames somewhat and people can start getting excited and simmer down somewhat and just enjoy them for what they are which is just fun space operas we're all passionate about <coughs> something but let's just enjoy them for what they are because I, I already can't wait for episode 9 um, I just quickly just throw something in I'm going to sound like a broken record in terms of film fans or TV fans but I was slightly worried about Amelia Clark in this film because a lot of people say that out of Game of Thrones she isn't always the strongest in her role, but I thought she was really, really good in this film, and I, I mean that. I thought her chemistry with Old and Aeronite was was fabulous. Um, I thought she really put on a very good performance, um, so I was re- really pleased by that. Yeah, I've only seen her in this and Terminator Genesis, I think. Um, but I didn't dislike her in Terminator Genesis. I mean, the movie's got problems, but I didn't think it was like her fault, you know what I mean? Um, and I, I didn't see, she did a, rom- uh, not a romantic comedy, I think it's just a romance, um, Me Before You or something like that. But yeah. I didn't see yeah, that. that was okay. Okay. It was okay. But yeah, I thought she was good in this. Um, in fact, I, I didn't have any issues with the, uh, performances except maybe the droid, which is, you know, I'm not, I didn't dislike, but I also didn't love, like, I love K2SO with Alan Tudyk behind him. Um. Yeah. And I didn't walk away with this, this movie going, oh, I love that droid, although some people are, so... You know, good for those people. I, I thought K2SO was a better droid um, than, than her. Although both have kind of similar snarky attitudes, which is different from our original droids. With I mean, R2's snarky, but he's snarky in beeps. You know, so it's... R2's sassy. Yeah, and like C-3PO's whiny and obnoxious, um, where like K2 is very uh, sarcastic and sardonic. And then uh, this, this one's sassy too, but like... I don't know, like, more, yeah, more in your more face. There's more to her, which is more... Of, oh, yes, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. There's more to her, which is in your face, which just doesn't work. Whereas K2SO didn't seem to have an agenda other than just to antagonise people. Yeah. <laughs> and, do, and Alan Tudyk was marvellous in that role. Um, this particular droid, he's okay, but she becomes... Or it's the droid, whatever you want to call it, he, he, she, it, it becomes... She becomes slightly wearing as, as, as the film progresses, but... Overall, uh, I really enjoyed this film. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out on the Blu-ray to see the behind the scenes of what went wrong, which we're never going to hear about. But yeah, um, I thought it was a I thought it was a good fun summer flick. Is it the best Star Wars film? No. No. Did it need to be? No. It's just a good film. I agree. Um, that's the main movies for the month, right? That's the bo- That's that's the four major, major, major releases now. Um, we've got a couple of films to go through now. One of them I haven't been able to catch. The other one hasn't come out in the UK yet, so um, 
I'm going to pass over to John and the third film uh, was released at a festival which I believe John saw it there yep. and I've seen it on Netflix but um, <coughs> so I'm going to hand over to uh, my statesman to go through the next few films alright actually I think I'm going to do one more too um, did you happen to see Breaking In with uh, Gabrielle Union uh, no okay. no I haven't so don't uh, that one Breaking In <laughs> is I've heard. Uh, just bad um, Gabrielle Union <laughs> tries but the script is bad uh, it's a movie that is hyped up to be almost like a um, female Taken type, like, you know, diehard even, like where she's going to get in and rescue the hostages. And it's not an action movie at all. There's almost no action. There's barely suspense. And there's some really stupid writing in it. Um, just awful. Uh, Life of the Party, though. Melissa McCarthy. I am um, up and down on Melissa McCarthy comedies. Uh, I actually think she's a really good dramatic actress who gets, like, never the opportunity to show that. Um, if you got to see Bill Murray St. Vincent from a few years ago... Yes. I think it's a great example of the quality performance McCarthy can bring. Um, but she can also be very funny, but a lot of her... Uh, the movies she's written with her husband, um, I've not enjoyed. Uh, Tammy and The Boss are, like, mediocre to me. Um, I think Life of the Party is the best of the three. And I actually was, like... There were parts where I was, like bent over laughing really really hard um <laughs> at this movie my wife and i took our daughter and her friend to see it and um man it had us cracking up at some major moments especially again because part of it is her daughter is a senior in college and she returns to college after finding out her husband wants a divorce so like they're both seniors in college because um, she didn't graduate she dropped out like her senior year because she got pregnant so it's like you know you have this parenting component so my, my wife and i definitely that connected with us it was surprisingly really, really entertaining. They didn't lean too heavy on the over-the-top physical comedy that you see in some of the other movies. There's one scene in the trailer where she, like, sets her ex-husband's stuff on fire and gets knocked back, like, two or three feet. I hate, I actually, I hate that, because they always go so big. Like, it's, physical humor doesn't have to be, like, absurd. It doesn't have to be that you would die if it actually happened to you. Um, I like, I like a good physical humor where it's believable. You know, a slap here, a kick to the nuts there. Those are funny. Um, <laughs> but this movie ended up making us laugh. And, uh, yeah, so I, I do, I do recommend Life of the Party, especially if you like McCarthy. Um, I think it's a strong performance from her. Uh, and there's some good stuff in the movie for sure. It's, it's definitely entertaining. Uh, are there any kind of, um, I want to call them those teen comedy <laughs> quite moments where, um, I know recently Blockers have one where you just kind of have that one scene which you, which you could just transplant and put into any kind of teen comedy or does it kind of try to be a bit more original with its gags um there there i wouldn't say it's original there's a lot of stuff that you kind of can see coming for sure um nothing that i think is uh completely like a rip-off scene or anything um there is uh the stock villain characters um there's two of them and neither of them really work i don't think that they're, they're almost unnecessary because i feel like the story is I mean, you're going to have a bad guy, but one of, like, there's a college girl bad guy who is just unnecessary, and it's Debbie Ryan who keeps getting cast in this role. Uh, poor Debbie Ryan. Um, <laughs> one of the Disney starlets who is now just, like, doomed to play the, the mean girl, and her character is unnecessary and there's parts where you can tell they didn't really know what to do with her they just kept writing her into moments and then there's the an adult bad guy that's like the uh the new the new fiance to her ex-husband who is um i forget her name but she was the the love interest in billy Ma uh i'm sorry love interest in happy gilmore and then she's on modern family i always forget her name but um those moments feel real generic and, and could have you know done been better written 
Okay, because um, I, I, this is a film I like. I'm I'm up and down on Melissa McCarthy. I think she's undoubtedly extremely talented, um, and she knows how to deliver a joke. And I was on the side of people who liked the recent Ghostbusters remake. I enjoyed that. I thought it was very funny. And I liked her performance in that. Uh, I know she's got a film coming out, The Happy Time Murders, which we haven't oh. spoken about, which we're kind of... Yeah. The trailer I found very funny, but I do have concern that it's, that may have been the best part of the film. Or it's just <coughs> going to be too gross out or too over the top where it just becomes a bit like Sausage Party where yeah. the kind of joke starts to wear thin after halfway through the film. So it, by the sounds of it, if that, if, that, uh, if that blasts, then she could have a fairly good year ahead of her. Yeah, and um, I, I definitely think it's one of her better uh, comedies, um, especially where she's leading, because there's a few comedies where she's just like, like Bridesmaids, I think she's really funny, but she's definitely not the lead in Bridesmaids. No, no. Yeah. And I didn't love, I actually didn't dislike the new Ghostbusters, but I am a, a huge fan of the original, so I have a little bias. But um, oh, for sure. I thought Hemsworth and, um, oh, I'm going to forget her name. Kate McKinnon? Yes, or the best part. And actually Leslie Jones. I thought they were the standouts in Ghostbusters. And Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy were kind of meh. It did what they do. Yeah, and I like Wig and a lot of stuff. But in Ghostbusters, I found them kind of annoying. Where I really liked McKinnon and I loved Hemsworth. I, I had no idea Hemsworth yes. could be that funny. Which they then brought into Thor Ragnarok, which I loved. So... Yep, um, I can't argue that. Ghostbusters, we somehow managed to get onto that. Yeah. We did, I enjoyed that. The next film, though, this Book is one I, that comes out in a, uh, in a tomorrow, I think, actually, oh, in the okay. UK. And I'm really looking forward to seeing it, because I've seen the trailer uh, recently with my partner, and we, um, we both found this to be extremely funny, or at least very uh, quaint. So, Book Club. Um, yes. I, uh, it's, I can't believe the Fifty Shades author has somehow managed to get a fourth movie out of her books because this movie is about a group of older women reading the Fifty Shades books. So <laughs> what a cast! Um, yeah, the cast is phenomenal. Whose names I do not have in front of me, but if you want to pull that, Diane Keaton, Jane Fonda, Candice Bergen, Mary Steenburgen, Craig T. Nelson, Richard Dreyfuss, um, Andy Garcia, Andy Garcia, who is so Don good Johnson. in this. Uh, Don Johnson, actually, this is my favorite that I can remember. Don Johnson performance. Um, usually in movies that I've seen, he plays the bad guy, like in Tin Cup. Again, that was a rom-com about golf I happen to like. Um, <laughs> but um, I really like Don Johnson in this. Uh, I think, honestly, of the cast, Diane Keaton was the one element that I didn't love. Um, and it's not her. It's kind of just, like, the, the character they wrote for her I don't really enjoy. Um, my review for this, I kind of get... I, I got way over-analytical, and I noticed something which made me sad because I had to see Fifty Shades Freed earlier this year. Um, and I realized uh, that movie was able to, to... I was able to decipher enough about the movies from that one uh, <laughs> that I was able to kind of see what they do with this this movie. And it's it's really... It's, it's a good movie. It's funny. Um, there's some really interesting character stuff with it. Uh, you get some really great performances. Richard Dreyfuss is not in it enough, but he is great in the moment that he's in it. Um, Alicia Silverstone is in this movie. Not not great. Uh, kind of plays one of the obnoxious elements of it. But uh, so is Wallace Shawn. For like barely, a, he's like in it for like a, almost a cameo. But I love that Clueless connection, you know, because uh, they're both in Clueless. Yeah. But um, yeah, I my wife and I went and saw this. Uh, when I went to my screening, one of my coworkers, uh, an older, I don't want to say older, I feel bad saying that, but like an older than me um, by a few years, uh, was in the theater with a group of her friends, like a good, I think 12 people 
And then in front of me were four graduating seniors from this year, uh, two of which were my students, two were not. Uh, so like we had this kind of weird, like they were too young, I think, to appreciate the movie. My wife and I were, were <laughs> technically younger than the target audience, but still like able to appreciate the, the humor as we're, you know, climbing. And then the uh, the group of women behind me, who's again, I'm trying to be very polite. I think we're of the the target audience, um, and they loved the movie. They were very much uh, for it. Um, I will say there's some some dirty jokes in the movie because of the Fifty Shades books, but they're they're done tastefully. Um, the all the performances are really good. Definitely one I, I recommend. Well, John's only a few years older than me, so now I feel like I'm in the climbing category as well now. Yes. So I now feel old. But um, I'm really looking forward to seeing this. It was the I can't remember what film I saw it in front of uh, recently. It may have even been Fifty Shades. It was. Uh, three, that, which is, I saw it there. Yeah. Yeah, and that was that was better than the film. This trailer. It was. was. Um, but I remember it coming on thinking. Oh, is it, what 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 is this? I've got to sit through something about the, the first few seconds of the trailer made me think this was going to be a should we say a drama which wouldn't be particularly appealing. But um, I really enjoyed what I saw from the trailer. I thought it was funny. I was hoping that the cast were good, and by the sounds of it, for the most part, performance-wise, it's good. Yeah, and it, uh, and I'm glad to hear that you know it's got some jokes in it that that land, and it's a good film because that from the trailer, and I know they can always be misleading, but the trailer sold me that it was going to be a a fun different kind of comedy because like you've mentioned about the t- the demographic and the target audience it's 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 good to see a film aiming for a different audience which can be appreciated hopefully by climbers like us yeah so um I'm looking forward to it. It comes out tomorrow in the UK, uh, so hopefully by the time this goes out, it should be out. So JB has given it a thumbs up, and that's an illustrious recommendation. So everybody out there in the United <laughs> Kingdom, check it out. And everybody out there in the States and the rest of the world, you should have already seen it. And if not, why not go and see it? Yeah, be- um, before it's gone. So this final film got its debut fairly recently at one of the film festivals. Was it the Tribeca Film Festival? Yeah, I saw it at Tribeca. Yep. And I'm starting to think we should start calling this the Bloody Awesome and Martin Freeman movie podcast because he's been in all of our episodes so far. Yeah. The movie's Cargo and um, it is, it's an Australian funded film and it's Martin Freeman is in Australia. Uh, there's been an outbreak of some sorts and the population has been eliminated essentially and all that's left are the uh, dribbling zombie lunatics that are roaming the Australian badlands. Um, directed by Ben Howling and Yolanda Ramke. It's got a good cast, Martin Freeman, Anthony Hayes... Uh, Karen Pistorius, who are both in the light between oceans, I believe. Susie Porter and uh, Simone Landis as the young Toomey. Mm-hmm. It's it's a strange film, this is, because it's something the Australians do very well, and that's bloody brutal films. If it's not Wolf Creek or The Loved Ones or The Killing Ground recently, it's Cargo. They don't <coughs> hold back on their sort of heavy, dare I say, sort of miserable kind of films, because this isn't a film where there's a lot of levity to be found. Levity to be found. It's heavy, it's emotional, it's grim, it's glum. Um, <coughs> it's good to see Martin Freeman step out and do this kind of dramatic role. But um, I saw it fairly recently, and did you see it at the festival? I did, yeah. I saw it, um, not the premiere night, which I'm bummed because he was there for the premiere. Um, but I was at the critic screening for it the next morning. And uh, yeah, um, it was it was kind of disappointing to see a Netflix movie at a, at a film festival, just because it's like, well, I'm going to have really easy access to this in like a week or two, you know? Like that like not I, I didn't I don't regret seeing it on the big screen because that's an opportunity you don't always get with a Netflix movie but at the same time it is like I could have saw something that I wouldn't get to see immediately had I realized yeah, yeah. it was a Netflix movie but um, I am such a fan of Martin Freeman that I immediately put it on my list as soon as I saw that he was in it um, and then I found out that I saw the short film this is based on um, yeah. a few years ago and so I was like oh well cool I've, I saw the short because the short's really great I actually 
I do think it's better as a short. I think it. Mm-hmm. I think the story is. It, there's moments in this movie that clearly get stretched out to make it a feature. Um, yeah. And those parts kind of bum me out and, and uh, wreck it, especially because it is an hour and 45. I think they could have cut 20 minutes off of this movie and it would have been a little better. Um, but it is good. And Freeman is still, he's great. He's always great. He's so charming. Even in a movie like this, he still manages to find some way of being charming. In a movie, like you said, is so heavy and it deals with a zombie apocalypse. I mean, it, it's it's great because you almost would think Martin Freeman in a zombie movie is going to be a satire, and, and it's not. This is a true suspenseful drama, um, harrowing uh, to say the least. Yeah. Yes. Um, as as fathers, um, this film, man, I, there was moments in this film where I was I could feel myself getting emotional because I thought, oh no, because oh, because uh, Martin Freeman has a. It's him, his wife, and his baby daughter. She can't be any older than a year old, maybe. Um, they're, 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 they're together in this film, and anything which involves young kids now, I, I find myself bawling my eyes out, usually. But yeah, um, yeah. there's moments in this where I thought, oh, God, if I was in that position, oh, I don't want to think about it. I think I'm going to I'm gonna start tearing up. But it is a it is a tough watch at times. It is heavy. It's, it, it is stretched out, let's not face it. It reminds me of a film that came out last year with uh, Daniel Radcliffe called Jungle. I'm not sure if you saw that. I haven't, but it's been on my radar because I keep seeing the box art for it. Yeah, it's a, it's, uh, that's a good film. I enjoyed that. It, this film reminds me of that because it's kind of this sort of... It pretty much kind of follows that... Well, Jungle follows one character. It, well, there's a group of them, but it kind of focuses obviously on Daniel Radcliffe more. This focuses more on Martin Freeman. It kind of follows them through their struggles and their trials and tribulations. It's, you know, two different subject matters, but at times it reminded me of that film, um, and I enjoyed it. So, yeah, I recommend you check it out. But, yeah, I, I liked this film. I wouldn't say I loved this film. I thought it was a very serviceable, solid film. I think Netflix needs to stick to these kind of smaller films. Yeah. It's clear to me that they're better. Uh, I'm sure one day they're, they're, they will hit big with a blockbuster. I know they've had films which have been hyper-successful, but, you know, their blockbusters haven't particularly... Uh, set the world on fire so these kind of films Netflix I find do brilliantly things like this and Imperial Dreams and um, ones that have come before I liked this film it was okay yeah. I thought Martin Freeman yes he was good in it um, very rugged looking with his beard Anthony Hayes was terrifying as uh, as Vic I believe his name was Yeah. the the villain of the piece uh, Simone Landers was brilliant as the young the young Aboriginal female. I just thought it was a, a good film. It, if you like the three or four aforementioned Aussie films, if you don't, if you if you are somebody who isn't drawn to heavy, some uh, it wouldn't say gruesome, but uh, heavy fi- films that you know are, can be quite hard to tough watching, for tough films to watch. If you aren't into that, this film won't be up your alley whatsoever. It's like I said, there's no there's no fun to be found here. Martin Freeman has his moments where he's Martin Freeman, but it's no way a fun film or a funny film. It's pretty much heavy yeah. from start to finish. So if you if you aren't into that then uh, I don't think you're going to enjoy this. Me, I thought it was, it was certainly above average. I, I enjoyed it. I'd probably give it a 7 out of 10, maybe, because it did go for too long. It, it, it meandered at times. Yeah. Performances were good. The story was pretty good. Um, but There were some yeah, it was... interesting quirks with the their take on the zombie that I, I like, but I also I feel like didn't get enough explanation to why they exist. Um, I feel like that's a trend right now in an oversaturated genre of zombie movies that they're they're desperately trying to do something to make themselves stand out from the other ones and it's sometimes it just feels like you've done this weird thing with your zombies for no reason other than to be different than the other movies and it it doesn't doesn't build the narrative it doesn't make the world more enriched because there's no purpose or rhyme or reason as to the choice other than to be different from other zombie movies and 
I felt like that was one of the things that was nagging at me when it was over. It was just like, but why, though? Why did the zombies have this weird quirk? I don't want to say what it is, because it's not a spoiler per se, but it is, you know, it's a detail of the movie that you will see with time. Um, but I, I do think it's a good movie. I definitely think it's it's a great example of Netflix disservicing their good films and not promoting it, because I don't feel like you're hearing about Cargo at all, where, like, The Kissing Booth was all over my feed, mm-hmm. and that movie sucks, So, which I also watched this month. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's your review it sucks yeah my review is much harsher i think than that if you go and read it but and i am a huge fan of joey king and i like rom-coms and i think it sucks so note that i'm a fan of the lead actress and i like rom-coms think the kissing booth is awful and my review points out why um also i i heard it was built on uh wattpad that's a fan fiction like website or you know like people write whatever they want and post it on that so mm-hmm. the script from kissing booth came from a book that was written on wattpad just to point out that's not to say it can't be good but it's definitely i think showing of some of the the major issues i have with the plot of that film but cargo while there's i think there are problems it's a much better movie than some of their other ones that get so much promotion so check out cargo especially if you have a subscription to netflix it's available in the states and in the uk apparently already so definitely better than a lot of the other stuff that's out on netflix uh, especially their original films uh, that they're pumping out as fast as mcdonald's can pump out cheeseburgers so (laughs) And just like the quality of McDonald's cheeseburgers, they're not always that great. Either. Exactly. But, they're definitely not um, always good for you. So. No. Well, this, yeah. If, well, uh, probably, to be fair, though, once you've seen Cargo, it probably would be quite good to go and watch The Kissing Booth just to cleanse yourself or to bring yourself back into some kind of better state of mind. Yeah. This is a heavy film. It is. It is a good film. It is a good film, though. Don't be put off. But like I've mentioned, if you if you if if tough watches aren't your thing, you may not find a lot to like here. But I thought it was a good film, and Netflix keep doing these kind of films. And like John perfectly said, promote this kind of stuff because we all like a big flashy blockbuster. But these kind of films need more. They need more attention because they're yeah. generally better. I mean, you're you're putting the money into distributing them. Let's advertise it. Like let, let people know it's there to watch. Like, I, I don't know. I just feel like they don't do a good enough job promoting what content they have out there. Because they do put so much up at once. And uh, I don't feel like the What's New, like, channel, you know, like, updates accurately. Because there's stuff that came out, like, three or four months ago that's still showing up as What's New. And, like, yeah. Cargo's not showing up there. You know, what's up with that? Like, Cargo should be on that list. And also, all it would do is just strengthen their position. Because it will show the diversity in the films that they're putting out. And if films like Cargo, you know, kind of got... Uh, a following and people saying how good they were it only strengthens the Netflix brand so yeah. if only they I don't want to say take more risks because they are a, a, stu- a studio now the studio that does take risks but they just don't back their risks enough I don't think so I agree um, I think they should start doing it because this is a film worth watching but just to quickly throw in a, a surprise for you guys out there because um, we know everybody likes a surprise uh, Mr. Burke Mr. Burke uh, Made me extremely green with envy this week because oh. he managed to snare a screening to the one of my more anticipated films in the year in a movie that's been called uh, like a few others, but the scariest film you will ever see. Uh, it's Hereditary, yep. and please no spoilers. But um, you went to see it this week. How did you? What did you think well, about it? Well, one, I brought my fourteen-year-old daughter with me to the critic screening, <laughs> which was debatable. Um, and two, this movie is getting compared to your favorite movie, The Exorcist. Uh, yeah. which is always, I mean, I don't know if that makes you more nervous because it's getting that comparison because, um, but I, I loved it, man. Um, and I, I, uh, big tuna who writes for Burke reviews sometimes. Um, and he brought a friend and I've heard the friend of his has been having nightmares since he saw the movie. 
Uh, wow. I have not had a nightmare, but there are there are visuals in this film that are haunting me. Like where I like I was driving the other day and I thought I saw something from the movie. Like in the like, no, it's it's there's stuff in it that will traumatize you. And um, I would say one, don't watch the trailer if you haven't seen the trailer already. Like not that it spoils anything. I actually think the trailer does a really good job of showing you stuff without spoiling things. But I think if you go in just knowing that it's a horror film and it is, it will get you. Uh, Tony Collette is amazing and I've been a fan of hers for a long time, but I don't think I've seen her in a, a horror film like this. I mean, she's in the remake of Fright Night with Anton Yelchin, which I love her in that movie. But uh, this man, this performance is, is outstanding. And Alex Wolf, um, who is, uh, I can't, he was in Jumanji, um, you know, the most recent Jumanji movie. Yep. And then he was in uh, the horrible um, My Friend Dahmer, which, uh, but he's good. And he's, man, he's getting a career all of a sudden. Like, the the kid was in the Naked Brothers Band on Nickelodeon, which I didn't realize until I saw Jumanji. And I was like, hold on, because I remember when that show came out, I was disgusted. My daughter was just young enough to, like, want to watch it. And I'm like... Why does they have a, a band called Naked Brothers Band? But here's this guy, Alex Wolf, you know, grown up now and crushing it. Um, Hereditary, uh, man, uh, if you, it's it's supposed to be getting a really wide release. I actually am shocked. I think my local theater's getting it. I didn't anticipate that because A24 uh, hit or miss with my local theater. Like a lot of times, we don't get them until way later. And from what I'm hearing, we're gonna have it this weekend. So I'm I'm really excited to see how this movie does in the box office. Um, I don't think it's gonna be as accessible as like A Quiet Place. Uh, as far as like box office numbers because I, I think it's gonna scare people too much where I think a quiet place is more like an exciting thrill of a, a movie I think this is like a haunting maybe ruin your your nights type of horror film so uh, yeah uh, I, I'm glad I got to see it uh, it was you know it was a late screening too like I mean later than normal usually the the a24 screenings are at like seven this one started at eight for some reason but the drive home was an interesting <laughs> one uh, my daughter handled it very well though I will say for a 14 year old because um, there's some visuals in the movie that really stuck with me, and she hasn't told me she's had nightmares or anything, but I feel like she would have if she had. So I know there's two things I know that John isn't a fan of. One of them is, of course, our equine friend horses. I do not. Um, and second is uh, horror films to an extent. So yeah, uh, well done for setting through. And we've spoken offline, and you, as you said, you're a fan of film, but I know that horror isn't the genre which you gravitate to first and foremost so yeah it, that i've mentioned to you before that recommendation from yourself gives me confidence that this is going to be a certainly a good film and yeah you've mentioned the exorcist parallel and yes that is my favorite film for every reason but what actually what what um makes me more nervous is when people say this is the, the scariest film ever or yeah you're going to be terrified because i think oh man because that because you can't sometimes you can't escape the hype and i haven't been able to for this yeah but no i'm now expecting to go and just be absolutely nailed I'll tell you, um, the hype for horror films, especially, I I was told the 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 ring was super scary when I saw it the first time. I I was so underwhelmed that I didn't like it. I did just recently rewatch the ring and I actually liked it a whole lot. So I kind of like mm-hmm. see what went wrong there. Um, the first Rob Zombie film, House of a Thousand Corpses, uh, yep. I was told was the most horrifying thing ever. I went in very underwhelmed on that one too. It's disturbing, but I didn't find it scary. Um, and so, yeah, that seems to be a trend uh, with Hereditary kind of breaking it, because I had heard that as well. I heard it was horrifying, and I was genuinely scared um, through large part. One of the, the critic behind me screamed really hard at one point, and then when the credits rolled, uh, he, he said, F this movie, but he didn't say F this. You know, he said the actual word, and got up and, like, walked out at the credits. Like, it was over, but, I mean, he got up and, like, stormed out. So um, he was terrified, apparently, and... It was him and... It, actually, I don't know who was the critic. There was a couple. 
either one of them could have been the critic. I don't know who's who was there as the critic and who was the guest. But um, I honestly also don't know which one of them actually screamed. I think it was the guy, but I don't know for sure. Um, so yeah, it, it definitely uh, it's atmospheric for sure. Um, super creepy too. Like it really it it sets the tone early and it doesn't let it go. Uh, it's it's great. Oh, I literally can't <coughs> wait now because I had another uh, Veronica came out this year and that was labeled scariest film of all time. It wasn't, but it was a fine film, a very good horror film. This, though, I'm very excited for horror. I love horror films. And everything you've said has only just made me want to see this more. It comes out on uh, June the 15th over here in the United Kingdom. Nice. Well, June the 14th, the advanced screenings are. Um, so uh, if anyone from my work is listening, turn it, turn, turn it down now. I would like to go see one of those as soon as possible, during the day or the evening. Um, so I'm, I can't wait for this film. Um, the only thing I'm nervous for is I just want it to, I want it to be good. I want this to be one of those horror films which really does leave an imprint on you. I think it will do, from what I've heard. Yeah. Um, but I just want... I mean, first and foremost, I always just want a good film. But for something like this, from what I've seen, the little, the very little I've seen, the very little I've heard, and I've literally heard in terms of, like, the soundtrack on the trailer, that's just, the, the music just creeped me out. So that's a good omen. Yeah. Uh, excuse the pun. So I can't wait to see this film. I'm looking forward to uh, trading notes with you once uh, once you've seen it. And on. Uh, I think we'll probably jump into it more on next month's episode. For sure. Um, to have a chat about that. But I, I can't wait. So uh, that is our episode for this month. That is that for this episode of the Bloody Awesome <laughs> Movie Podcast. Um, so I think, was it a mixed bag, would you say? Or I think we lent more to the positive. So it feels like time. a positive month. I mean, even Overboard was the most uh, on-the-fence movie I think we had, and we both still were positive on it. So I don't think there was anything we saw that we didn't like. Um, I think if you listen... Oh, kissing Booth. Yeah, well, yeah, but that's, you know, forgettable. <laughs> we can act like that didn't happen. Um, but like Solo is the only movie that the populace seems to be down on, but we were both up on. So yep. So a successful month in May, June. Uh, there's some. There are some good films coming out in June. Yep. So I'm looking forward to next month. This month's episode already, um, and I'm hope to have recovered from seeing Hereditary. If I'm not on the show. Uh, Obviously, I haven't made out of the screening, so uh, <laughs> think of me on the 15th. But uh, So that's, that is that for that. So thank you again, John. Where can the world find you on the internet? Uh, I'm at Burke Reviews on the Twitter and the Instagram and the other things. You know, BurkeReviews.com for all my reviews. And this man has got a family of podcasts waiting for you to listen to. Yes, sir. Uh, you could find me at whatiwatchtonight.co.uk, uh, glumping around on Twitter and Instagram, What I Watch Tonight Show and all its various offshoots. Find them on the website or iTunes uh, and um, collaborating with John as much as possible. We have a new po- podcast coming out uh, soon, which will be more details about. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be info-packed, fun-packed, um, yep. and I hope you're going to enjoy it. So, um, any final words, John? Uh, no, sir. Just you know, keep watching movies. Well, until next time, keep watching those movies and stay bloody awesome, guys. Blood, 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 bloody, blood, blood, bloody, awesome.